0: Welcome to Preheated Kitchen Wisdom and Friendly Chat from two friends who love to bake. From Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea
1: Ballard. And from London, England, I'm Stefan Cohn.
0: Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we close out our potluck and picnics theme with a summer plum crostata that's just perfect for outdoor dining. We'll also take a look at baked goods packed with protein and decide if these snacks are truly healthier or just another sneaky way to justify our sweet tooth. And we'll review our blueberry banana cake from last week. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Andrea, it's really hard to believe, but it is the end of August, and something that uh, we're getting used to here in my family uh, is that school is starting much earlier than it does in Seattle. And so this this week, the week of August 28th, my kids are headed back to school. Um, it's... <laughs> it's here. It's coming. I can't believe it. So
0: I know I had a little bit of that same feeling. I mentioned um, last week in episode 40 that I had visited a friend in California, and she mentioned they go back the first week in August, or maybe it was around August 9th, so maybe the second week. And I know my relatives in Louisiana go back the first week in August. So in my mind, August is the most beautiful month here in the Pacific Northwest, and it is firmly associated with summer for me. But I know in large parts of the country and in the
1: world, obviously, people are going back to school. It's true. You know, my Midwest friends, I have friends who are teachers and they're saying, oh, you know, now two weeks before school starts, I'm going back or I'm starting coaching or, you know, these different things that they're involved in. And uh, the last week of August is early for us. In Seattle area, we're usually after Labor Day. So, you know, it's not that early. But um, just saying August instead of September, there's something kind of remarkably... Strange about that to us. So, um, so the, the kids are, are going to be off to school, and one thing that we're all excited about is that they are going to be eating a hot lunch. Their, their schools are very, very small, and one of the reasons that we had resisted doing a hot lunch uh, in the past was not anything necessarily about the food choices, but just because there was such a volume of kids that it was hard to get through that line and get your lunch and pay for yeah. it and then sit down and have actually time to eat. So um, they're at much smaller schools, and and that uh, lunch lunchroom is just kind of not on the scale at all of what they're used to. So, oh, okay. um, my daughter's really excited because it was her chore to pack lunches for her and her brother. So she is definitely on the side of let's let's just try this out for, you know, <laughs> for a little while. Freedom. Let's just see how it goes. That's an extra
0: extra 10 to 20 minutes of sleep every morning for her probably. Oh, okay
1: at least. Um, and then they, at my son's campus, they are allowed to bring a, uh, a small snack for kind of mid-morning snack, but they're very restrictive as far as what that can be. And so it it's no sweets, it's no nuts. Um, nuts was a thing we were kind of used to not providing, uh, mm-hmm. but no sweets. And in fact, I've heard from other parents that they kind of cracked down on it. Like, I see it's the second time you've sent a granola bar and there's no snack, oh. you know, no sweet snacks. So this is going to to be a really big change for my son, who has as big a sweet tooth as his mother for sure. Uh, it's just going to be grapes and, and pretzels, I guess. So, <laughs> so
0: I'm curious, what grade is your son going into?
1: Yeah, so he's still going into third grade. That's the same; It's stayed consistent third, with okay. Um, okay. with uh, the the school. Uh, not schedule, but the grade uh, levels like at in, in the states. Yeah, and and uh, okay. so that stayed the same. It does change a bit when you um, are in the British school system. But my kids are both in an international school, so um, for whatever reason, that's aligning more with uh, with the system that's in the states. So, yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I was asking not just for the the leveling, but just because I have been fascinated with what I am calling the snack culture that our kids are raised with. You know, when I was in school growing up, there were no snacks. We, no. <laughs> you were expected to, you know, eat breakfast at home and then you ate lunch at school. And uh, when you got home from school, your, your, you know, your family might have given you a snack, but there were no midday snacks at school. And this started in, when my daughter started kindergarten. We had to bring enough snacks for 28 kids or however many it was for two snacks a day. And I remember being so happy now she just finished fifth grade and they were down to one snack a day. And I'm hoping in middle school I don't have to provide snacks for her because I just think it's nuts that the kids are eating all day long.
1: Well, I agree with you on that. And my daughter last year was her first year of middle school in the States and they didn't have a set, like bring a snack for a mid morning snack. But what they would do is when they were having, um, like standardized testing days and even the practice days for the standardized test, she would get all in a flutter because she'd say, my teachers tell me I have to bring a snack. I have to bring a snack for these days. And I would say, well, well, why is that? Is it like a longer stretch than the other periods? Are you not, do you normally eat during this time the test is scheduled for? No. Why do you get hungry? Is this something? No. <laughs> They've just told me I need to bring a snack. And I've found that same uh, thing I, with both my son and my daughter over the years. I've said to them, if you don't feel like you need a snack, you don't need to eat a snack. And, and if I don't send no. it in, the teachers would be like, oh my God, you know, he didn't have a snack today. And well, maybe he's I not know. hungry. Like. You know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we could have a whole episode on snack. And so I will I will curb curb my tongue here because I can get really worked up about it. I'm going to shift my thoughts over to something that is much older than when I was growing up. And that is the topic of rendering leaf lard. So we're just jumping back into the
1: <laughs> like 1800s like here. <laughs> yeah, um, mm, What maybe a tasty back in- snack that was. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it did make me think of there was that one scene in Little House on the Prairie when Pa butchered the pig, and yes. I I do believe they blew the pig bladder up like a little balloon and the they kids did. tossed it around. They mm-hmm. did and They also, the so, snack
1: in that episode was that they like fried the pig's tail and ate like a crispy pig's tail. So, so maybe it's not that snack culture, maybe it's just <laughs> nobody really wanted snack back in the day. No, thank you. I'll
0: pass on your fried pigtail. I'm good. I had a really big breakfast. Well, I got my leaf lard from my butcher after we had, um, we get a pig every year. And so that's one of the things I ask for. And I always ask the butcher if there's other people who don't ask for their leaf lard, if I can have theirs. So I get a really nice big package of it. But it's, it's a huge package. It's solid. It looks like an enormous flank steak in terms of size or like a a pork shoulder roast or something like that. And I cut it up into pieces and I put it in my crock pot on the very lowest setting and I just let it melt down. And I had posted this on my personal Facebook page. So anyone listening who is a friend of mine probably already saw this. But I have to say the day that I did it, my entire house just reeked of uh, pork. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, once you're In that smell, you sort of forget about it. It's not until you kind of Mm -hmm. leave the house and come back in. But, you know, I couldn't figure out. My dog was just following me everywhere that day. He just would not leave me alone. I was like, gosh, what is making him so needy? And it wasn't until my husband came home that day and he walked in the door and he said, what's for dinner? He was so excited. You know, and of course, I was like, oh, I don't know, the salad. And he was like, no, no, I smell something. I go, oh, that's my leaf lard. Oh, right. And yeah, mm -hmm. so that's what I use for my pies. And you can buy it online on Etsy. And you don't have to render it yourself if the idea just completely um, sort of repulses you or you don't want your house to smell like pork fat for
1: a day. So is this a quantity that sees you through until next time this year? Or will you have to substitute or, or supplement rather?
0: Yeah, it won't see me through a whole year, but it'll okay. it'll last a good while. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got a big glass jar. I think the um the quart size. I got a big quart size full. So and I'm starting I'm, with I'm stocked
1: like, up well. Like poundage wise, what what did you start with to get a
0: Well, my crock pot was full. So I I'm, oh, okay. I'm not good at estimating weights, but I, I took this enormous piece of fat and, and chopped it into cubes and then it, it filled my crock pot. So it was a lot. And then once, once it was rendered down, you know, you strain it through a cheesecloth to get rid of all the impurities. And what was left behind, I think, is kind of the equivalent of the pigtail from Little House on the Prairie. I think it was almost like cracklins or, really? or the, okay. the pig skin. And so I gave that to my dog, and he really <laughs> did appreciate it. And he, I think he felt like all of his waiting and, and hovering over me was well worth it.
1: It's so worth it. Oh, it paid off for him. What a nice little treat. Oh, yum. Yeah. Well, fill us in as that leaf lard, you know, your, it's pie making time is, is, is coming and you've got that fresh lard now. So absolutely. Well, we are going to talk about our blueberry banana cake from the kitchen, uh, from last week. And, um, this was, I had said last episode in episode 40, this was really reminding me of kind of a classic snack cake and something that was great to take to a potluck. It's not, um, you know, something that that uh, starts looking poorly when you are cutting into it. You can cut bunches of sizes, whatever people have a taste for. Um, Andrea, how did this one go for you?
0: This one turned out really well for me in the cake Aspect. So I, you know, followed the recipe. I used my stand mixer. I had pre softened my butter. So I did my butter with my sugars and I had the vanilla. I did use the rum, which was listed as optional, but I thought it sounded really good. And then I blended in my, you know, flour and baking soda and salt and then folded in the blueberries and I baked that in the oven. I used one of those disposable metal pans because I was taking it to someone's house. And so that way I didn't have to worry about it. And that worked really, really well. Then I went to make the cream cheese icing. Now, what would you think is a key ingredient in cream cheese icing, Stefan?
1: Cream cheese?
0: Indeed. <laughs> this, this would occur to 99% of the population. Um what you know, last week in episode 40, we talked about our personalities, and one aspect of my personality, uh, some might call it a flaw, is that once Never. I have something, well, once I have an idea in my head, even with when presented with evidence that that should directly point out to me that I'm wrong, I dismiss that. So, for example, For some reason, when I uploaded the ingredients on this particular cake, the cream cheese didn't come through. And so when I went shopping for it, I didn't buy any cream cheese. Now, meanwhile, you do the work behind the scenes on our show sheets, and I noticed you had added in this nice sentence about, you know, uh, with cream cheese, which is one of our favorite things. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, I wonder why (laughs) she's saying that (laughs) instead of, Uh Uh-oh, I (laughs) forgot the cream cheese. So I have the cake in the freezer, which is what you're supposed to do to cool it down quickly so you can ice it. I go to start to make the icing, and I was using the app on my phone, and I thought, this this isn't setting up right because it was just a little bit of butter and then all this powdered sugar. And I thought, something's wrong. So I went to my computer. I printed out the recipe, and lo and behold, I needed a block of cream cheese. So... (laughs) I completely panicked and thought, what on earth am I going to do? I looked in my refrigerator, and the closest thing I had, because, of course, at this point, I'm about 30 minutes from where I need to be Uh at the party with the promised cake. The closest thing in my refrigerator was sour cream. So instead of eight ounces of cream cheese, I used a container of sour cream. And it wasn't as good as the cream cheese frosting would have been, I'm convinced. But in a pinch, it did work. It was more of like a drizzle frosting than, you know, a spread frosting.
1: Well, Andrea, I had similar issues with the frosting, although I did remember the cream cheese. <laughs> um, really? So, How shocking. So, <laughs> But in a different way. So I cannot find yet block cream cheese. I cannot find it. Oh. Um. I have read British recipes. They call for block cream cheese. I looked on a couple different websites. I looked on the Amazon UK site. They sell something called soft cheese, which is, you know, like Philly cream cheese. It's like, like that spreadable or whipped version of cream cheese. Oh, and for something yes. like, you know, like a bagel or something like that, it works just fine. And so I just had to hold right. my breath and hope it would work here as well. And It Taste-wise, it was fine, but it was just much too liquidy. And so mine was more of a drizzle, like you said, um, as opposed to kind of that thicker, um, you know, delicious cream cheese frosting. And so I really need to get to the bottom of that because I love a cream cheese frosting. And I I can't – even if I would have added more –
0: yeah, if you know of what um, Stefan can use to
1: <laughs> replace a and block thought, of cream well, like cheese, I thought mascarpone or mascarpone, but that's not the flavor. Like you really want that tang of the cream cheese. And again, it wasn't a flavor issue; it was a texture. This soft cheese was just too runny. So yeah, I'm I'm in desperate need of knowing. Um, that said, well, this. I yeah. did, I did
0: a quick internet search on, you know, what to do if you don't have cream cheese. And the number one thing listed as a replacement was a cheese that started with the word N, the letter N. And I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it was like Nufachel or something like that. That just means light cream cheese.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So, hmm. but you're right. Maybe that's what I should have been, you know, just how the grocery stores are set up here. It's not the same. And so they'll put like, what's an example I can give you? Um, like the cheese is one whole section, but then uh, like the other side of the aisle is not the butter and the yogurt. It's like, you know, the, the bacon or I, I can't like, and so then you have to kind of go down and around to find like the eggs and the dairy oh, okay. and other things. Whereas in my mind, yeah. like that should all be grouped together. So it's very possible. This is like somewhere else in the store and for whatever reason it, it wasn't Yeah. Like this anyway. So yeah, listeners, if you have any intel on what I, uh, should be looking for, <laughs> please let me know. Um, please share (laughs) cream cheese. Um, that said this cake worked really well for me. Um, taste wise, it turned out beautifully. I had some quibbles with some of the steps she had us do along the way. Um, the main one being that you bake this cake in a nine by 13, but then she wants you to do a parchment layer. Um, I'm really used to doing parchment layers for cakes, for loaf cakes, for round cakes, but I realized as I was trying to get the cake out of the pan that those are much smaller and more easy to manipulate cakes. And getting a mm-hmm. big cake like this out and with the parchment off was really tricky for me. I, I thought it was going to split in two. It didn't, but I thought it's going to happen and I can't do anything about that. Um, So, in the future, I would probably just grease my pan and not use the parchment. I didn't see that it added anything but some frustration here. Um, And then,
0: especially if you used your baker's joy. I mean, that would keep it from sticking and, yeah. Yeah, that's the way, I think that's the way to go. I used an 8x8 pan, so I actually cut the recipe down a little
1: bit, and maybe that's why I didn't have difficulty. I did use the parchment, but it, it pulled right out with no problem. Yeah, and on a smaller cake, I think definitely it can, or you can kind of like balance it on your hand and kind of, you know, help it out yeah. that way. In the comments for this cake, um, there were more than a few people who said, I did this in two batches, or I did this in two 8x8s, or a loaf pan, or, or other uh-huh. things. So I think that's a popular way to go. Um, the second issue I had was that my my, my pan and my cooling rack would not in any way fit in my freezer. And so I had to do some rearranging as well. (laughs) Um, I just, I just said, I think this is a time thing. I don't think this is trying to affect anything other than, um, you know, speeding up the, the cooling rate so that you can go ahead and get frosting on this. Um, and so I just did it on the, on the counter, let it cool down and it it was fine. Um, but also in the comments section, someone had said, um, I'm a little concerned that I'm melting everything in my freezer when I put this hot cake in there. So maybe just do be aware if you have something kind of precious or special, don't put it right next to your hot cake. I don't know. Ah, I don't know, anyway, you did it, and it worked fine, and it did what it was supposed to, do, which was cool down the cake. It
0: did, and I, I had to because I was taking it somewhere. I had to rearrange my freezer, and it was still a little bit warm. So 30 minutes in the freezer did not cool it completely. Okay. Um, and, but but since my frosting was a drizzle anyway, it poured on top, and then it drizzled down the sides, and then it did just kind of pool mm-hmm. along the edges, but yep. I thought that was okay. Yeah. Um, everyone liked it. Everyone had one piece, and then both my husband and uh, there was like a 9-year-old child, um went back for a second piece. And, you know, my husband doesn't usually like sweets, so that was a big hit. And he made the comment that it was just so moist, and I think that was the bananas in it. And then it was really cute when I was packing up to go home. The um, parents had said, oh, take the rest of your cake. We won't eat it. Take it with you. So I said, okay. And I was packing my stuff up, and that nine-year-old sidled up next to me, and she said, hey, how about you leave that cake? <laughs> I said, I, I said uh, absolutely. I said, it'll be our little secret. Of course, here I am telling everyone. Um, and so I just accidentally left that on the counter. And I have a feeling she was going to hit it up for breakfast, which is what I did this morning as well. And I have to say, it's just as good the following morning.
1: Yeah, it's one of those cakes that is truly um, – Good any time of day, which I really consider to be the like definition of a snack cake. Um, my family yes. loved it as well. Uh, everybody said that you know it's so moist. It had such a really deep banana y flavor, and um, yeah. I used rum as well. One of the um, funny comments in the recipe, um, someone said, "Well, the rum is optional." And the comment back was, "I never make banana cake without rum." <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. Um, very exciting that hard alcohol is just sold in the grocery store here. So I just bought the rum right alongside the milk for my babies and had no problem. <laughs> just there you go. Sh- no, no judgment. No judgment. <laughs> um, And, you know, as we were eating at the first time, the first serving, um, we were wondering, are the blueberries really necessary? Like, I think on its own, it might work as a really good... Banana cake. Uh, my blueberries all fell to the bottom in this cake, and I think how you remedy that in the future is you toss them with a little bit of flour, and that kind of helps them hold up in the batter. Now, that was my first reaction, but then on subsequent eatings, I thought, no, I think the blueberries add a little bit of a tang, which I'm enjoying, and I kind of like that they're at the bottom because it Gives that kind of an upside downish. Um, I like the layering, actually. So yes, you know, I, I agree with that hundred percent.
0: I like the way the blueberries fell because I thought it almost added like a stripe, and I thought it was mm-hmm. really pretty. Yep. And I also feel like the blueberries keep this from just being a loaf of banana nut bread. Sands nuts, you know, <laughs> so it, yeah. it was, it made it different enough to, to really distinguish it and I, I like those blueberries. I think you could use another berry as well, you know, if you wanted to use blackberries or raspberries, I think any any type of berry would work in this recipe.
1: Yeah, so this was a great cake. This was from the kitchen, K-I-T N and we've got that link up on our website as well. That was uh, from episode 40 that we introduced that cake, um, preheatedpodcast.com and we're going to switch to a recipe that we're going to talk about and introduce, but because there's only four weeks in this month, we aren't going to review it. And that is um, a summer plum crostata. Uh, Andrea, our pie queen, tell us a little bit about what makes this a crostata and what, what the definition of that type of dessert is.
0: Yeah, um, crustata is, I think, a really great dessert for people who are still intimidated by pie crust. You do have to make a crust, but it is a free-form, rustic crust. And if you think about it, you're just going to roll your pie crust out. It does not have to be a perfect circle. It can be all jagged around the edges. You plop a fruit filling in the middle, and then you just fold the edges of that crust up toward the middle, leaving the fruit exposed. Um, You might have also heard of this called a galette. So the French word is galette. The Italian word is crestata. They're both the same thing. And I know uh, several summers I have made a blueberry galette, and I make it outdoors on my big green egg. So it also has like a little bit of a smoky flavor to it. And it's really one of my favorite summer desserts. And I thought it would just be so fun for a picnic because, again, it's it's pretty easy to transport. I am imagining um, once you, you know, put it into some type of container – because it's not perfection. It doesn't have the crimping and the fluting that you associate with pie crust. And so I think it's going to be easy to make. I think it's going to be easy to bring somewhere if you need to take it and eat it outdoors. And bonus, I have a friend with a plum tree. So I was able to get some plums off of her. So I'm going to be using fresh summer plums, which I'm really excited about.
1: Oh, I'm so jealous. There's nothing like a friend with a fruit tree. Those are the best kind of friends. <laughs> I know. I think plums friends with are, boats, friends with food teas. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, plums really, for me, straddle that line between kind of end of summer and early fall, too, at least where they're kind yeah. of coming into season. It's a nice, um, even just their yeah. color, something about them kind of has that kind of late summer-ish. Um, I've talked in other episodes about my favorite um, Plum uh, cobbler that I make, so I'm really excited yes. to try to try this one. And um,
0: the other thing that's really exciting about these plums that I got from my friend is they are much smaller than the plums you get in the grocery store. So they are about the size
1: of um, an eyeball. I
0: mean, okay. yes, <laughs> mm. no, that's probably not. the I tried to now, think now of Andrea. Something I told well, you the
1: eyeball crostata was for Halloween show, so. <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, they're smaller than an egg. They're smaller than the traditional plum you would get in the store. And I just think they're going to be
1: yummy and juicy. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I think those are actually um, Italian prunes. And they are fantastic. Oh, okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a variety.
1: It's just a variety and you can use them. Um, Yeah, fabulous. My mom used to can those. Actually, when I was a kid, we had a neighbor with a tree and we would do that. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: OK, that's what my friend was planning. She had this huge bowl on her kitchen table and she said, oh, thank goodness her mother is coming to visit next week. And she said she's going to put her mom to work canning all of that. And I said, oh, do you think I could have a few extra just to make this crostata? And she was like, have at it. My mother will thank you. So oh yeah, um, I'll post a picture. Happy. OK, mm, love it. Well, let's go ahead and talk about. Um, something that's a little bit different and more in the food trends world. And that is something that I've been seeing a lot, which is baked goods packed with protein. And we've talked a little bit about this in terms of, um, you know, sometimes trying to sneak vegetables into desserts. Right. Uh, but this, this is, I think, more of a way to sneak protein into a dessert. Is this something you've seen as well, Stefan?
1: Well, you had been posting a lot during your your bike trip too about kind of the protein and eating for fuel and needing to do that and um one actually commercially, commercially prepared protein treat I really like is a lara bar, and they you know that's widely available. They make them in a huge, huge variety of of flavors and the one I really like is the cherry pie bar. I don't know if you've had that one mm, yeah um yeah. the thing about the lara bar that always gets me is it's literally three ingredients and I'm every time I buy one and eat one I'm like why am I not just making this for myself yes yeah <laughs> it's it's dates it's cherries and it's nuts I'm I kid you not yeah. like, that is what yeah. it is and um I don't know have you had you made these kind of of protein snacks or others did you make them for your I bike do. ride
0: Okay, okay. I, do, I do. I make a lot of these. I think I posted a picture on our preheated page so people can see what they look like. I use. I used to use recipes. Now I just sort of go with a, a base kind of template, which is um, I almost always use dates. So that is both the sweetness and the stickiness that you yes. need to hold these things together. I use nuts. That's where you get a lot of your protein. I use coconut because I love coconut. And um, again, it, it. I use unsweetened coconut, but you could use sweetened coconut and then just adjust your sugar accordingly. I typically melt some coconut oil and add it in. And again, that'll help things kind of stick together when you're rolling them and making balls. And then you add in all of those kind of fun things. So like chia seeds, flax seeds, you can do cocoa powder, you could do chocolate chips, you could do oatmeal. I mean, you really can experiment. So I did make a couple of really big batches for my bike trip. And my favorite one that I made was a pistachio coconut cherry. So I used, you know, a cup of dried cherries. That was sort of my sticky fruit. So instead of using dates, I used dried cherries. I used a cup of coconuts and I used a cup of pistachio, word that all around in the food processor. And then I had melted some coconut oil and I started adding that in just until they were sticky enough to stick together. Now, the tricky thing about this is since I use the coconut oil, guess what happens when these are exposed
1: to heat? heat. Do they melt? <laughs>
0: They melt. Oh, no. So, you know, here I am trying to save money and not buy all of these pre-packaged goods. But, you know, one of the things about those pre-packaged goods is I think they've figured out a lot of um, ways to make them shelf stable. And mine are definitely not shelf stable. So they were still good, but they were kind of um, unappetizing to look at. You were you were more just sort of squeezing them out of the bag into your mouth as opposed to, you know, picking up a little bite and popping it in your mouth. But they still tasted good. Um, The other thing that I had bought for my bike trip, um, because I I really wasn't sure about making these, was there's several lines of cookies that are called, you know, protein-packed cookies. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, They were really good. My husband especially loved the peanut butter ones. At a certain point, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if regular peanut butter cookies have just as much protein as these, you know, $2 for each cookie protein-packed. Right, right. It's
1: just a matter Uh, of branding. Yeah. mm Mm-hmm.
0: I think so. But, you know, when I looked it up and I compared the recipes, what a lot of these ones you purchase in the store do is they they clearly must be adding protein powder, which Mm -hmm. is something you could do at home if you replicated it. But most normal peanut butter recipes don't have that in there. So, um, you know, your peanut butter has protein. Um, Of course, you know, if you're adding in, let's see, some egg, you might have a little bit of protein there. But you're not going to get anywhere near to the, like, 10 grams of protein or 14 grams of protein in, in a cookie that you would if you just made them at home. So I do think those are good. Um, I don't think you should fool yourself and think that just because it's got a lot of protein in it, you could eat, you know, 12 of them, it's still got a lot of calories, and it still is a sweet, you know, it still has a lot of sugar in it. So just something to keep an eye on. If you're trying all of these protein goodies, um, a lot of times they will have a similar calorie and sugar content as let's say a Snickers bar.
1: <laughs> so right be aware. Yeah. And, um, you know. One thing, do you know about PB2? It's a powdered peanut butter.
0: Yes, I've used that and I really like it.
1: Yeah, and I I often put that in smoothies for my kids because it's just a good Maybe hit too. of peanut butter and it's another just kind of um, you know added protein. Now um, you do kind of have to say, well, you know, one healthy thing about peanut butter is the peanut oil and the nut oil, and so you're you're extracting that, so you're you're losing some of the health benefits of that oil. But um, it's another way to get good uh, protein in. And I know I know there's just huge swaths of Pinterest devoted to how to put that in cookies or other. Baking. Baked goods and yes so I was actually just at a cocktail reception last night and um, it was just um, very casual but the woman who was hosting it she had um chocolate dipped dates and then she had filled them with some crushed pistachios and I just thought well that's just kind of a deconstructed mm. or I don't know you know um, that's all the ingredients it was really good I talked to her briefly about it and you know it was pretty easy she just she just dipped it into the melted chocolate sprinkled it with with some of the nuts, that would be hard to do like on your bike trip or something. Obviously you've got some, some chocolate there, um, to mess with, with your fingers. But, um, I did follow proper potluck etiquette and (laughs) (laughs) I just had, uh, you know, I just chose the one that I wanted and picked, touched only that and then put it on my napkin and (laughs) didn't lick my fingers and go back for more. Uh, yeah, just like you know, this is super I, simple. And yeah, yeah. I love, I love it, so.
0: dates. I have learned that my husband does not like dates. So as I was making these energy bites and getting ready, he would try and he'd be like, I don't know, there's something about this one that's there's that weird flavor again. And every time he said that, it was one that had dates in
1: it. It's the date. And so... <laughs>
0: It was it was really funny. He um popped into the outdoor store right before we left on our trip and he bought, um, you know, we're buying snacks for 15 days of bike riding. And so, you know, he bought maybe a either a 12 pack or a 24 pack of this one particular I think it was a blueberry pie and it might have been a Laura. It might have been another yeah, brand, that but it was a blueberry pie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was so excited about it, and we're here, we are our first day on our trip, and he takes a bite, and he went, "Ugh!" And I was <laughs> like, "What?" And he goes, "It has that weird taste again." I said, "Well, read, read me the ingredients." And he flips the wrapper over, and the very first ingredient is date paste. Yeah, and and that I sounds said, like a no. Lara bar.
1: I think that's their calling yep.
0: card. Yep, I think so. I said, "Sorry, honey," and he was like, "Oh, guess what you're going to be eating on this trip?" <laughs> well, like, you're Great. intimately familiar with that now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So listeners, if you guys like to make these energy bites, we would love to hear any of your recipes. I posted a few on our Facebook page. I put the coconut lime energy bites up there. That's a really fun one for summer, and it uses up lime, lime zest, which I think adds a, a little zing to things and, and tastes really different than what you get at the grocery store if you're buying energy bars. So try it out and let us know what you think. Love
1: that. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. It's hard to believe summer is winding down, but as the calendar flips to September, our thoughts turn to the beginning of fall. Next week, we'll kick off a month of new episodes with a back-to-school theme, packable snacks. Whether you need something grab-and-go for lunchboxes or midday treats at the office, we've got you covered. Remember, you can find us in our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and you can download us on Apple and Google Podcasts, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Stephen Cohn and Andrea Ballard in association with 24th Floor Productions.